welcome back to Random Trek, the podcast in which I, your host, Scott McNulty, discuss a random episode of Star Trek with a non-random guest. My guest tonight is Adam Rakunis. Adam, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk about a Next Generation episode with you, but before we delve into Star Trek, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm a science fiction writer. I have uh, one book out, my debut novel, Windswept, which is about sex, violence, and labor relations in space. <laughs> and it was nominated for the Philip K. Dick Award this year, which is really exciting. Congratulations. Thank you very much. And uh, the sequel, the improbably named Like a Boss, is going to be out <laughs> June 6th in all of books to, all your finest bookstores, bookstores all over the Alpha Quadrant. Ah, excellent. Go, to, go down to uh, uh, Dalton Books and pick it up. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Dalton books. I know, assuming there's still a Dalton somewhere out there. <laughs> there, there may be somewhere an off-brand Dalton's yeah. books, uh, <laughs> and, uh, right next to a Borders. Yeah, that's very sad. Uh, well, so let me ask you a little bit about. I'm always fascinated. A, I'm fascinated about novelists because I am one of those people who thinks I could write a novel, but I never have. So clearly, uh, everybody thinks that. But you, you've actually written at least two novels. I bet you've written more than that. Um, uh, but I'm also fascinated about how novels get their titles. <laughs> so do you, do you pick your titles? Did your publisher pick your titles? Does somebody else pick them? I don't, it, uh, well, it's funny. I, I've picked the titles for two books for, you know, the two I have published windswept. That was always going to be the title when I did the very first draft. And I, I started that book sitting in a hotel bar in Hawaii waiting for a, a wedding rehearsal dinner to start. I'd gotten there early and it was a really nice evening. I'm sitting out here on this, you know, this nice sultry outdoor bar, drinking really expensive pineapple juice, and just thinking, "Huh, this is this is really cool." I just, I wonder what it would be like to stay here, and how much would I have to work to be able to stay here? And so, the I actually pulled out my. This is back in the days when I would I had an old Nokia phone <laughs> that had a big enough screen to go and read. And I had a, a fold out Bluetooth keyboard and I just brought it everywhere I went. Cause I was too cheap for a laptop and I started just pecking away. And that, that became the, the first chapter of the first draft of windswept and like a boss, that title was tough because I had no idea what to name the book when I started writing it. Uh, the working title was strike cause book two was about a strike oh. and and my agent said, "No, that's that doesn't work." And then I, I <laughs> threw two on the nose, two on the nose, and it was you know I thought though strike with an exclamation point, exclamation point, point really yes, cool. yeah, but that was shouting, and you know shouting titles don't work very well. <laughs> and we kept kicking back all these different things until finally, just out of just sheer goofiness, I said, "Let's call it like a boss." And my agent said, "Yes, that is the title." <laughs> Print, then, start those printing presses. Well, it's more like, like, well, that's the title. We'll go and convince Angry Robot Books to to call it. And then they said, why? Yeah, sure. That's the title. And the whole time we're talking about this, I, I thought they were going to change it at the last minute because titles are, as, as an author, unless you get it in your contract, you don't have a lot of, of uh, control over the packaging of the book. Mm-hmm. And while Angry Robot has been very cool about you know, including me in the discussions of the cover and, and stuff like that, if they wanted to, they could go and say, nope, the book is now going to be titled uh, you know, Martha, Martha Ray in Space, and, and there's nothing you can do about it. Or Norma Ray in Space, sorry. Mar- Martha Ray is someone totally different and has nothing to do with labor unions. Wow. But either one in space, I think. I know. Something in space, yeah. So, 
Sometimes it's luck. Sometimes it's just really sitting down and writing out a giant list of stuff. Uh, my friend Fran Wild has a great book out called Updraft. And I think she said she and her agent and publisher just went down. I think they, they wrote an entire page of titles and until Updraft just kind of appeared and bubbled up to the top of the list. <laughs> so it's luck. Well, and, and the episode, yeah. this, what, this is going to be a segue. The title of the episode we watched uh, is one of those one-word titles. Suspicions. Mm-hmm. Suspicions. Yes. I know. That's your, that will certainly go and tell you right away about what you're in for. That's right. But before we jump into this next generation, season six, episode 22, uh, let's talk a little bit about your interest in fandom, uh, in, not in fandom, but in Star Trek <laughs> fandom, uh, in particular. Uh, we could talk about fandom in general as well, but, uh, I'm more interested in Star Trek, though. So let's just, yeah. uh, keep it there. I figured uh, from the, from the podcast, it's, you know, it's random Trek, not random fandom. Which, <laughs> sure, that would be a, a wider, uh, uh, a canvas to paint with, but, uh, True, but boy, that would be a cool title for a podcast now that I think about it. Uh-oh, don't get any ideas, Adam. Random fandom! <laughs> I have, I wouldn't even rhymes. Uh, and you have to yell it from exactly. far away. Exactly. Uh, so would you consider yourself a Star Trek fan? I would. I would. Uh, I certainly picked up enough of it of the original series by osmosis to know who Captain Kirk and Mr. Spock and all those people were. Um, I remember, that's funny, my, actually my earliest Star Trek memory that I, I can remember for certain is uh, going to see Wrath of Khan and like I said, even though I knew who all the characters were, I didn't know enough to understand who Khan was or, or that backstory. All I really remember is the scene with the uh, the little oh, earworm the, creatures yes, and popping eels. on the helmets. The eels, yeah. And freaking out and running out to the lobby and staying there long enough until my mom said, are you going to come in and watch this movie or what? So. I still freak out at that point, even oh, though... Oh, God, yeah. It's, it's, just, it's just so squicky, you know? Yeah. Oh, things in your ears are gross as well. Yeah, me. yeah. And it's such an extreme close-up, but that is one of my favorite movies uh, yeah, of all time. Yeah, no, mine too. So, I mean, I I, um, I saw the rest of the movies when they came out in the theater. I when Next Generation came along, I was I was a pretty religious viewer of it up until uh, up until high school, and then I just didn't have time for TV anymore. Uh, um, or it's more like I'm more more like I didn't make time to watch Star Trek as much as it as I did for other stuff, but. Right. You know, I still was vaguely aware of things that were going on. Uh, when I was a senior, I was uh, I was sort of like what was called a, a freshman rep. So I would go and help with a freshman class homeroom, and uh-huh. and the teacher there was really into Star Trek. And I remember the two of us talking, and and he didn't have a VCR, and he missed the the episode. I think it was the the, the two part cliffhanger of. Um, Oh, the best God, of both worlds. Yeah, when yeah. Uh, Picard becomes a Borg. Exactly, oh. and so you know, so I got to go and supply my, you know, I got to go supply my homeroom teacher with that, so he could go and watch it and catch up. Oh man, and that is that cliffhanger ending. Yeah, now, you know, kids today they don't understand that you, there was well, a time no, when you had to wait, and if you missed yeah. it, you missed it. <laughs> yeah, I know. How can you have a cliffhanger in the age of binge watching? You you can't. It's like a uh, no. two seconds, and then you hit next, and uh, yeah. it's resolved. Yeah, I mean, the, the only way you could do it is to go and end the entire show on a cliffhanger. Which, which doesn't seem good. <laughs> no. I guess you can but, end a uh, season. Uh, like you a, could. And then you have to wait, like, just a month or so. And times are different people. That's what I'm saying. Right, uh, no one's going to be into that. And if you remember the best of both worlds, that cliffhanger was serious. I mean, the writers thought that they were being fired. 
So yeah. they wrote the ending not having to worry about how to fix it because they were like, they're never going to hire us to actually write the resolution yeah. of this story. Uh, and then surprisingly they did and they had to figure it out. But that was a big cliffhanger. What's well, a good way to go? It's a, it's a good problem to have as a writer sometimes. Let's, well, you know, I'm going to be done. I'm out of here. Goodbye. Like, what? What do you mean? I have to write myself out of this impossible corner? Now? Oh, crap! Curse me! Yes. What was I thinking? <laughs> stupid past me. Yeah. Uh, past Scott now, does all kinds of stupid things. Exactly. Now, now I and I did. Let me just just to get back to Star Trek fandom. You know, I still watched it. I then watched a little more regularly. I, I did. Go, I remember seeing the series finale i was uh, i was doing a summer internship at uh, the jet propulsion lab and my grandparents lived near- nearby and it was just you know i got to live with my grandparents for the summer and and have my my short commute over to jpl and, and watch star trek with my grandfather which was pretty cool <laughs> um and also you know i went to uh, the first two years of college i went to a school called harvey mudd which is a super super nerdy science and engineering school so mm-hmm. you know Watching Star Trek became a an event again because you you know there's the one dude in your dorm who has a TV and that night well we're all watching Star you know we're gonna watch Next Gen this night and DS9 the next night and and like I remember that was a, that was a big deal for when DS DS9 started like we're all gonna go hang out watch this new series and and um and I think we all dropped it pretty quickly which I oh, I no. regret now because I've been I've actually been rewatching DS9 now that it's on Netflix. And my, my friend Sunil Patel, who, by the way, you should have as a guest on the show because he will he will talk your ear off about <laughs> about DS Nine definitely. Oh. He um, yeah, well, he's he's been watching the whole thing at one throw, and now that I'm getting back into it, I really I understand his enthusiasm, and I see why a lot of people feel like it's the the best of all the tracks. Yes, I mean, the, and I've had this conversation with a lot of people who have given up on Deep Space Nine because that first season. Yeah, a little rocky. Uh, yeah, but then you know the first season of Next Gen was super uh, rocky well, too. Yes, <laughs> but when you've got uh, you know when you're when you're uh, when you're in a drought, any any drink of water will do. Exactly. So, the, so. The, that's right. And you just have to. And I feel like, and I've said this before in the podcast, so people who are listening, I apologize. But uh, the original series is an outlier in that its first season was like they were firing in all cylinders. Uh, every other subsequent Star Trek, I feel like the first season has been pretty darn rocky. Um, yeah, uh, TNG being the, the probably the best example of it, but Deep Space Nine also pretty rocky, uh, right? So I, well, I think, I'm, oh, sorry, was, yeah, because I think you have the, the the dual problems of first of all, you're you're writing for TV, so you've got to go and write something that's going to get people's attention spans, mm-hmm. and then you've also you know you're kind of chucked into a, a you know new cast, new situations, stuff like that. You've, you it takes some time to go find your footing. Yeah, and I mean the actors also have to kind of get used to their roles and saying the ridiculous yeah. things that Star Trek <laughs> actors have to say, uh, exactly. believably. <laughs> right. So there's a lot that has to happen, uh, and I think the, the original series is one of these, you know, uh, wonderful moments in television where everything seemed to click right off the bat. Um, and so I think few shows that happens with, um, but luckily without that first, obviously without the original series, we wouldn't have any other Star Trek. So right for that. Uh, but now let me ask you my, my standard question. I think I might know the answer to this, but uh, if you had to pick a favorite series, which series would you pick? It would be DS9 with, well, with, with a lot of stuff from Next Gen as a very close second. But I think, <laughs> I, I think, I think what's getting me now is I realize the, uh, the serial nature of DS9, telling a bigger, longer story 
I think is great because you just have, you know, you've got more time to do more stuff as opposed to the, you know, the, uh, the alien planet of the week episode that, uh, that certainly plagued a lot of, a lot of early next gen. I think when those writers realized that they could go and, and start building on the stuff that they were doing, that the audience was paying enough attention that you could, you know, you could have callbacks to stuff that happened in original in uh, the original series or earlier in next gen, or you can go and have these big multi-part episodes and people will tune in because they want to know what happens next. Right. And the characters can significantly change over the course of the show. Exactly. Uh, which exactly. You know, I love TNG, but, uh, as you watch it now, you realize that there's a little character development as the season progresses. I think it's mostly that the characters, the actors are getting more comfortable and, mm-hmm. you know, becoming their characters more. Uh, right. but there's not a lot of, a whole lot of, you know, difference between Picard, season one Picard and season seven Picard is pretty much the mm-hmm. same, except, uh, you know, Patrick Stewart is better at being Picard than he was. Right. Uh, at <laughs> season one. <laughs> Right. He, w- he never loses the ability to go and enunciate and project. <laughs> that's right. And loathe children. Get those yes. children away from me. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's also the, one of the reasons I really do like DS9 is that the um, – and I'm a dad. My daughter is six years old. Mm-hmm. And I love that, seeing that relationship between Ben Sisko and Jake Sisko. I, you know, I buy it right off the bat that here's a dad who's you – know, his family has suffered this this horrible loss and he's – you know, he's, he's taking his family, you know, taking him, him and Jake away to go and have a new start, but he's also going to go and be really protective and really loving and really supportive. So. Right. And then Jake grows up does. to be a journalist. So, oh, spoiler yeah. alerts for Deep Space Nine. By <laughs> <What>? the way. <laughs> Sorry. You mean he doesn't join Starfleet like his dad wants him to? No, but uh, Nog does. So it's all right. <laughs> <laughs> it's all a balance, you know. Excellent. Uh, <laughs> And you don't really get to go and claim spoiler, you know, spoiler alert on a show that's what, what tw- twenty years old now. Something like that, yeah. I think the yeah. the uh, expiration date on spoiler alerts has uh, passed. It's worn off. Yeah. If you can watch the entire run of a show on Netflix, I feel like uh, spoilers. Uh, it's your own fault for not knowing. Right. <laughs> you, you go watch Deep Space Nine, people. If you're listening to this, uh, it's really good. It is. Really it gets good. better. It gets better. It gets much, much better. <laughs> Uh, there's so much stuff I like about Deep Space Nine, but we're not going to talk about Deep Space Nine because we didn't get a Deep Space Nine episode. So let's talk about TNG. And there's so much stuff I like about TNG. Uh, not, and, and two of the things I like about TNG uh, feature – well, one features prominently in this episode. One features not so prominently, but she's always fun. Uh, and, of course, I'm speaking of Guinan and Dr. Mm-hmm. Crusher. Yeah. And this is this is a, a Dr. Crusher episode, although this is a, another one of the disturbing – a lot of Dr. Crusher-centric TNG episodes generally start with everybody thinking she's crazy. <laughs> uh, and she, it turns out that she's not. So you would think that they would eventually start to trust Beverly Crusher, right. but no, they don't. <laughs> Our chief medical officer has a hunch. We should listen to her. No, she's clearly hysterical. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I guess obviously people in the Federation never saw Quincy MD, so they're lost. <laughs> they, they need to understand... <laughs> That's right. She has a medical degree, so she can solve murders. Murders, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Which is what basically this episode is, uh, uh, Quincy MD in space, or diagnosis murder in space. Right. <laughs> uh, because this is the episode in which we find uh, a Ferengi scientist has created these crazy shields that let you dive into a star, uh, but he uh, people start dying. 
and uh, Beverly Crusher has to figure out why. But nobody thinks that it's foul play except for Beverly, so right. Picard and everybody's like, oh, you're crazy. Uh, and then it turns out that she wasn't crazy <laughs> in the end. I know, yeah. She's 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 the one who's about to get summoned for a board of inquiry, and no one's gone and said, "I'm sorry, uh, Mister Worf, you're in charge of security." Or I can't remember is Worf still on the ship in this this season or not? Yes. Okay, so in that case, Mister Worf, you followed down on the job. How many murders have there been <laughs> while you've been chief security officer? And why is it that the medical officer has to go and step in? Yeah, you would. So in the episode, the Frankie scientist uh, dies in mysterious circumstances. It seems as though he may have killed himself. Uh, but there are some uh, odd things about it. Uh, and Worf shows up to, you know, and so does Dr. Crusher to look at the body. And Worf is kind of like, Psh, he killed himself. Nobody cares. Yeah, I know. So, <laughs> he's like your typical cop. It's like, well, I don't like this. I don't like Ferengi anyway. Who cares? He offed himself. Good. My job's done. I'm off to go and have a little bat lift practice. Go hang out with the boys. That's <laughs> right. Take Down it away, boys. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Halt the meat wagon. And it is interesting that – so the Ferengi, and I, I've talked about this before, a problematic race of people, the Ferengi. Uh, they are uh, – well, especially explored in Deep Space Nine much more than TNG. Uh, sexist and they have a lot of uh, – uh, someone was on and pointed out the uh, large noses and perhaps uh, anti-Semitic overtones of how much they love money and uh, their their racial profiling, uh, which I had never noticed, but uh, – once it was pointed out, it's something that you can't unsee. Uh, but in this episode, we get like the nicest Ferengi ever. <laughs> yeah, how could you not sympathize with Doctor Rega? He, he's just a sci- he's a Ferengi scientist in a world he, of Ferengi who are obsessed with money, and he just wants right. to prove that he's a scientist. And everyone's like, "You're Ferengi." <laughs> he just digs metaphasic shields. Is that so wrong? Apparently, even Vulcans are like, "Whatever." <laughs> yeah, I know. That's. <laughs> <laughs> so, I think that's the that was the one thing that got had that almost threw me out of this episode is um you know here here it is that that beverly crusher is trying to go and be as she calls it a scientific diplomat to get all these people together because she's fascinated by by rega's ideas and it seems like she just i realize that these characters are all supposed to be people who are interested in the the science that rega is uh studying and, and yet you just could it just seemed like you could find a more uh disinterested bunch of people in, in in the federation yeah they've all traveled very far one imagines to come to the enterprise because a random chief medical officer has invited them to see a ferengi shields uh so you think they they would have a level of interest and yet in every scene they are all so completely disinterested and most of them uh, uh there's a there's a klingon uh scientist who's a woman there's a woman uh vulcan scientist with her uh human husband who's also a scientist and kind of creepy uh i don't know why he just has a creepy vibe about him uh, and of course i know why cuz the writers wanted us to think that he's the one that did everything but uh, right you got you've got to have the red herring just like you do in any of your 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 uh murder entertainment shows exactly and then we've got dr joe brill who is i forget what his race is but he's uh, a takaran ah uh, yes and he has uh so i've watched this on netflix which has the hd uh hdified things and his face looks so soft i just wanted to pet <laughs> face every time i saw him <laughs> and those great streaks in his hair too yeah yeah he he is a a fascinating looking whoever designed his look did a great job uh and so they're all they they're the only scientists apparently in the federation uh who want to check out these shields uh which got me to thinking though 
aren't there a bunch of science officers and engineers on the Enterprise that might be interested in this as well? You know, I, I was wondering that too. Why why aren't Jordy and Data hanging around this whole thing just to see what's going on? Because these are like these are revolutionary shields that this Ferengi has uh, cooked up. Uh, people apparently have been trying to do it forever. And he's done it first, uh, or so he claims, because nobody <laughs> believes him except for Beverly Crusher. Right. Well, then wouldn't you want to go and have, you know, the Federation's most brilliant chief engineer and an officer with a, you know, a positronic brain so he can go and run a whole lot of simulations and see a lot of different angles? You know, that's, uh, I, I don't know, I, I, I agree that it's too bad that Beverly Crusher gets a, gets a bad rap for, for not thinking things through. But this is a time we really, she should have gone and, and gotten a little extra help. And I think the setup of this episode is weird because uh, – well, it's not weird. It's interesting because it starts with, uh, you know, Guinan comes in to talk to Beverly Crusher and Beverly uh, is down because she's basically gotten kicked out of uh, Starfleet uh, and off to this inquest because she has uh, uh, done an autopsy on the Frankie scientist when she was told not to, but we find that out later. But uh, we know something's up. Um and this is where we find out that she went to this conference about, you know, subspace stuff, uh, and she started reading about metaphasic shields. Uh, now, I am not – I don't want to pigeonhole Beverly Crusher, uh, but she is a doctor, <laughs> and I, I wonder why she's going to this strange conference and reading about metaphasic shields. I don't understand why Geordi wasn't the main focus of this episode. I mean, I like Beverly Crusher. She's one of my favorite characters, but it's just like a weird – uh, they, I guess they wanted her to be able to do the whole autopsy and figure it out that way, but it just seemed like an right. odd choice. Well, you could have, you know, we could have had, you know, Crusher in the Forge, you <gasps> know, uh, that would have been great. You know, having to be, having a buddy cop Star Trek with, with Jordy and Beverly. <laughs> I'd watch that series. Yeah. Uh, he knows about subspace. She knows about bizarre alien diseases. Together they fight crime. La Forge and Crusher. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yes, but th- that's not what they went with on this episode. Uh, it's just Crusher and yeah. herself and Guinan, I guess, kind of. But Guinan is basically there to say, tell me what's happening, Beverly. Uh, and then kick Beverly into doing something about it because Beverly's mopey because she's, uh, you know, she's uh, going to be charged with, uh, you know, medical malpractice basically and, and violating her ethics and stealing a shuttlecraft and all. Oh, actually, I guess she steals the shuttlecraft after she talks. Right. About it, but, uh, I, I forget. Does she, does she get in trouble for violating the prime directive? Cause it just feels like that should be in the, the list of charges <laughs> just on principle. I don't think she did, but, uh, I think that in, in our head canon, as yes. like, we can, we can say she also violated the prime directive <laughs> and the temple. By the way, yeah, while we're throwing the book at you, Dr. Crusher, we're going to toss a little prime directive <laughs> violation. In there too. How so, dare you, sir? Yes. <laughs> uh, so yeah, the, so this is a – I like Beverly Crusher. She uh, brings these scientists together very randomly. Uh, she did say that she sent out lots of requests and these are the only – it's like a ragtag group of scientists show up. Um, and seemingly all the scientists that show up are suspicious and jealous of this Ferengi scientist who claims to have cracked this problem that they've all been working on forever. Right. Um, and in particular, the Romulan, not the Romulan, the Vulcan, although that would have been a twist if she was actually a Romulan. Dun, uh, dun, dun. That is not yeah. the twist, though. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she is in charge of like the, the Vulcan Science Academy for 15 years. She's like super high, uh, profile. Uh, and she does not believe that Amir Ferengi, well, she doesn't say it, but you can kind of see 
her disdain for the Ferengi yeah. on her face more than normal Vulcan disdain for everybody. Uh, yeah, uh, has has cracked this problem before. So she aren't, aren't aren't any envy and disdain emotions? I mean, it doesn't sound like she's really followed through with. No, her her husband seems a little more uh, uh, logical and uh, maybe not logical, but emotionless uh, than she does. Uh, but uh, I, I don't know why. But uh, so the, the long story short, uh, it's too late for that. But uh, they're like, OK, you need to test it out. And the Frankie's like, I've tested it out millions of times. I've done simulations. I've even piloted a shuttlecraft into the corona of a star myself. Uh, and everyone's like, we don't believe you. You falsified your data. Uh, somebody else needs to pilot the shuttlecraft or we will not be satisfied. And so Joe Brill, our, our, uh, the guy whose face I want to touch. <laughs> <laughs> A soft and fluffy scientist. He is soft and fluffy. He, he says, I'll pilot it. I'm an excellent pilot. Uh, let me go. Put me in, coach. Uh, and so Dr. Crusher who I guess is in charge. I don't really understand. Uh, says, okay. <laughs> and off they go. He goes into the stellar, the, the Corona of a star. He's having a great time. Uh, everything seems to be working fine. And then, oh no, all of a sudden uh, he dies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I can't to- breathe. I can't pilot. I, ah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, and he's very dramatic. He's a dramatic kind of guy. <laughs> uh, so there's a lot of, uh, they watch him die on the view screen for a long time <laughs> before it's anyone does It's not a pleasant death, yeah. Yes. And my, my question here is they couldn't transport him because that's, you know, the, he's in the corona. There's too much uh, interference. They can still see video from the shuttlecraft. Uh, so my question is why can't they remotely pilot the shuttlecraft out of the corona? But they can't. They just tell him, Captain Picard's like, you have to fly towards the Enterprise, Jabril. <laughs> Do it. What? Well, as we know, some, sometimes Ferengi metaphasic shields, uh, they'll go and create pop, uh, plot complication odds, which really go and screw up uh, remote piloting. That is why uh, the technology until this point had been uh, neglected because uh, it was causing too much trouble. With, right. Uh, the, the plot kept thickening uh, right. every time they turned on one. Uh, so seemingly he dies. Everybody's bummed out because that means the shields didn't work. But the Dr. Rega is is aghast. Uh, he doesn't he he doesn't know what what happened. He wants to examine the shuttlecraft. Uh, he thinks uh, you know some something's up. Uh, and uh, Jabril dies. Uh, Dr. Crusher performs an autopsy. She can't make heads or tails of his body, uh, and he doesn't have internal organs apparently. Although he clearly they show a scan of his internal. Uh, body and it's clear that he has organs he's got this stuff in here that was one of those odd things too like a starfleet medical officer i mean it's they do say earlier on that that uh the federation hasn't she hasn't talked about or hasn't met a lot of takarans and is not really familiar with them so i could buy that it's a big galaxy there's a lot of weird stuff and yet that does seem like one of those basic things, uh, you know, as a medical officer. Oh, by the way, this guy is coming on, and his uh, his internals are really wild. You're gonna you're gonna want to bone up on this just just in case, just in case there's murder most foul on the Enterprise, <laughs> or he gets a cold or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what happens if he goes to ten forward and gets a bad drink? Exactly. You, you you would you would think she would have to check out if he can even drink or eat anything that they have. Like do some right. basic research. Right. Uh, and she's invited him onto the ship, so it's kind of her job to to make sure that he will not come to harm. Uh, but yeah, he she should. Have, she, 
Like she should have the Takaran version of an EpiPen, just in case. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but she does not. And uh, she scans, and she's like, they don't even have internal organs, as she points to things that clearly look like internal <laughs> organs on uh, a scan. But I'm not a space doctor, so right. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they could be other things. I trust Beverly Crusher's medical opinion more than my own. Uh, so he's dead. They can't figure out why. But uh, Beverly thinks something is up. She further thinks something is up because uh, the Ferengi is found dead in a, a lab mere moments after talking about how he was determined to get to the bottom of what's happened with his shields. And he would not rest until he solved the malfunction. Uh, but then he's dead. Uh, seemingly suicide. And this is where we talked about earlier, where Worf is like, he totally killed himself. Right, right. <laughs> I've seen enough. <laughs> right. And Pev's like, and we, should, we, we should mention earlier, too, that that, that when Rega is trying to go and, and get to the bottom of this, this is when Jordi and Data show up to help, you know, study uh, yes. the, the shuttlecraft and take mm-hmm. it apart. And they can't find anything. Right. And then we get Worf, who's also just like, whatever, Ferengi, suicide, okay, there we go. <laughs> exactly. You're dead. Nobody cares. Yeah, moving uh, on. And Beverly's like, I think I suspect murder most foul. <laughs> uh, and so she doesn't say that exactly, but she, she suspects something. So she wants to do an autopsy, which seems reasonable. I uh, think so. Yes. But uh, this is where we find out uh, that apparently uh, people are notified very quickly of deaths, uh, I guess, subspace communications. So they, they have set off a little missive to Ferenginar, I assume. And Dr. Rega's family's like, don't touch his body. Uh, because we have to do the Ferengi death ritual, so you cannot perform an autopsy. So Captain Picard very sternly tells Beverly Crusher, do not do an autopsy. Whatever you do, don't do an autopsy. I know, it's fun to think of Picard as, you know, the the gruff but lovable police captain. (laughs) That's right. Crusher, I'm telling you, don't go and do this thing. I know you got your hunches, but... We got to lay off till the family comes, slices Dr. Rega into little pieces and sells him off to the highest bidder because that's what the Ferengi do. It's their culture. We cannot – we must respect it. Right. <laughs> Later on, you can buy some pieces and study them for yourself. But right now <laughs> – Hands off. Put them right, in and, – right. and this is where we find out that the Enterprise has a morgue, which uh, you know I guess makes sense. I never really thought about it. But uh, they seem to have one morgue. Uh, like one slot for dead bodies because Rega and Jabril, uh, not at the same time, but we see them later in separate points, kind of coming out of the same drawer in the wall. <laughs> and it's fun. I like I like to just take a quick aside. That was actually a pretty cool prop. I I think that that um, I I realize that that sometimes making making moving parts on a set move cleanly and smoothly can be difficult. Like you hear all this, you see the bloopers of the guy of the the grips who were supposed to go in. Clo- open and close the doors yeah. to make them slide as someone's walking through. Mm-hmm. But having that whole thing of a, the, the door swings down and then zoop, out comes, out comes the slab with yeah. the little retractable silver foil thingy. Yeah. I like that. It's like a little, uh, it's like one of those, um, I don't know what they call them. The, the tunnels that kids crawl through. Uh, yeah. but it's like half of it, it's silver. And then it, uh, it retracts at a certain point as the drawer comes out. Yeah. Uh, so it looks really cool. Yeah. Uh, so kudos. I agree. Kudos on the morgue set, whoever, whoever <laughs> out there. If you're listening, you did a good yes. job, set designer. Good job, set designer. We, <laughs> we, we, we liked the way you it. handled death in the Federation. And that's, uh, you know, one of the things they redid all of the, 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 like they went to the original tapes and they, they remastered it in HD and all this stuff. And sometimes, uh, that, well, all the time, I think it's great because it looks so good. Uh, but sometimes the props suffer 
because they were never meant to be seen as clearly right. as we can see them. <laughs> uh, but in this case, that prop was very good. So yeah, good job. So yeah, so now we've got a dead Ferengi. We've got a dead uh, Jabril, whose uh, race I can no longer remember. <laughs> Uh, Takarans. Takarans, there you go. Uh, And now Dr. Crusher's obsessed with doing this autopsy. It's kind of like that thing where someone tells you, you know, don't think of a pink elephant. And all you can think about is a pink elephant. So Captain Picard says, don't do an autopsy on the Ferengi corpse. And all she can think about is autopsy. I I, (laughs) kind of said they didn't have a a montage of her doing like random stuff throughout the day (laughs) and just her kind of stopping and just pondering an autopsy. (laughs) But they didn't do that. Uh, but it right, is she, also she, unclear to me why she can't just scan the body. She has to cut it up and, uh, cause she scans Jabril's body like at a molecular level later in the episode. Right, uh, right. And, but she can't do that to, uh, uh, Rega for some reason. But, uh, right. I, once again, probably that metaphasic shield thing has, uh, has, has thrown off some, some right. plot. Pl- yes. Plot complication ons. Yeah. Exactly. They, they always, uh, so long story short. In a shocking development, she does an autopsy because <laughs> she is and, certain there was foul play. Right. And surprise. Nothing. No foul play. She finds nothing. Uh, and it's sad. And she goes to tell Captain Picard. She's like, Jean-Luc, you're not going to like this. I did an op- autopsy. Uh, and he's like, which I think in, in a in a kind of a moment of uh, and very in character because, you know, Picard and Crusher have this relationship. His first he doesn't like yell or anything. He says, well, what did you find? Right, because <laughs> he thinks, it's not the crusher. You went too far. I've right. told you again and again. I mean, put your hand in your badge and your scalpel. You're right. done. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because he's like, okay, you, you obviously you think something's up. You're probably right because I trust you, even though I think you're kind of crazy. Uh, and then she says, I didn't find anything, and that's when he gets very upset. <laughs> Uh, and that's when she she loses she gets kicked off the crew and she's suspended or whatever you're called <laughs> I don't know what it's called when uh, you get your, your your she's busted down or something I don't know uh, but she's still not going to give it up this is when this is where the beginning we catch up with the episode catches up with itself and now we're at the point where she talks to Guinan and Guinan's like uh, you should do something about it. <laughs> And Beverly Crusher's like, you're brilliant. <laughs> I should do something, Guinan. You're right. Why didn't I – exactly. Why didn't I think of that? Uh, so she goes off and she uh, she decides, okay, I need to do uh, a deeper scan on Jabril's body because something's up with that. Uh, so she goes to sickbay and she can't access autopsy files <laughs> because she no right. longer has – you're off the force, Crusher. You can't do anything anymore. Exactly. So uh, Nurse Ogawa helps her out, uh, even though Crusher orders her not to. And there's a nice little exchange where she's like, luckily, you're not my boss anymore, so I can do yeah. what I want. That was a nice touch. I did like that. Uh, and so she finds the autopsy report. She does a little autopsy. Uh, and then she decides that she's going to steal the shuttlecraft. And here's wh- a question I have. She she was thwarted uh, trying to just look at autopsy files <laughs> Which don't seem like they should be all that secured. Maybe HIPAA, space HIPAA, uh, they should be secured. Uh, but stealing a shuttlecraft, it seems like, should be harder than it seems to be in this episode. <laughs> but she just yeah. goes in there, she takes it, and flies into a star. <laughs> there we go, off we are. <laughs> Proving that the shields work, uh, and because uh, she had seen some something, uh, some radiation in Jabril's body. Um, and she's very happy that it's working, but all of a sudden communications are cut off 
and everybody on the Enterprise thinks, oh no, she's blown up. She is not blown up, though. Because slowly in the background, we get this shot of Beverly Crusher sitting at the, the console of the, the shuttlecraft, and like a, uh, like a giant bread drawer opens. <laughs> I don't know how, how, how else to, uh, describe it. And out pops everybody's favorite, uh, face touchable scientist, Jubril, who is not dead after all. Yeah. Uh, but apparently we find out that his race can uh, slow their metabolic and cellular states to look like they're dead, which is also something you would think Beverly Crusher would know, but she doesn't. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so he was playing possum, uh, and he wanted to – he is the one that sabotaged the shields because he wanted to take this technology himself, take all the credit, uh, and then turn it into a weapon of some kind. It seems unclear how he would do that, but that's his plan. Uh, so now – He's uh he wouldn't have he would have gotten away with it too if it hadn't been for Doctor Crusher and her medics. Right. Uh, but actually, she thinks that this is even better now because he can steal the whole shuttlecraft uh, and take it back. Uh, but he he does have to kill Doctor Crusher because you know that's just the way it is. And then there's an exciting um, little bit of fisticuffs uh, where Doctor Crusher basically. Uh, you know, makes the, the shuttlecraft dive deeper into the star and he falls over and then they, they roll around on the ground. He has a phaser, I should say. Uh, she grabs the phaser uh, and doesn't stun him, which I thought was an interesting choice. Right, just goes right for, I'm going to blow a hole right in your torso. <laughs> yes, which looks super cool. <laughs> oh yeah, that was a, another very good shot there. Uh, and this is a, earlier when uh, Beverly Crusher was standing next to a chart displaying all his organs, and she said that he didn't have any organs. Right. Uh, she mentioned that all of his functionality was distributed across evenly across his body, so he could uh, be grievously injured but still walk around. Yeah. Uh, and that's why setting up this very moment where he gets uh, a hole shot in his midriff, <laughs> uh, but he's still fine and he's walking towards her. And very creepy, very effective. Um, and then she uh, vaporizes him. <laughs> and there we go. Case closed. Good job there, Crusher. That's right. And she brings the, the shuttlecraft back. Everybody's happy that no one cares that she's murdered someone. <laughs> Although it was self-defense. I suppose so. She well, still, can... I wonder. I wonder what the board of inquiry is like there on you know for the Federation. Of, okay, well, it's one thing to go violate the Prime Directive, but then you also wouldn't shot somebody, vaporize <laughs> somebody. But he was he had murdered two one person before, so uh, and he was trying to steal something. So it's it's a it's a ethical gray. I'm sure they'd find it was a clean shoot, but still, there there should be a, something. Now, when you when you saw this, did you think it would be Jabril or someone else when you saw the you know the person rising up out of the back? Yeah, that's yeah, I saw this episode a long time ago, so I forgot what the twist was. I knew there was going to be a twist. Uh, and we, I skipped over the part where, you know, she f- suspects foul play. So she goes and interrogates the Klingon and the Vulcan and her, his, her husband. Uh, and it's, they both, they all act as suspiciously as possible as you do in a kind of a whodunit because everybody's a, a suspect and they, uh, are all very suspicious. I thought. I I I was I was taken by the writers. I thought it was going to be the Vulcan's husband. I did too. Yeah, because I completely forgot that it was Jabril. But then when I started watching this, I was like, I remember something about him, but I wasn't remembering quite what it was. Like I didn't remember if he could make a clone of himself or something. Um, but as I was watching, I forgot about that, and I was like, oh, it was totally that Vulcan husband guy. Yeah, <laughs> I don't trust him at all. Right. And his little uh, Vulcan outfit. <laughs> exactly. Everyone's going to think, oh, it had to have been the Klingon, because Klingons are violent and horrible and awful. And that was actually another 
I thought interesting bit of character is uh, just to jump back to the beginning episode of having all the scientists are standing around and here's this one Klingon who I, I think she is literally in the corner of the room, kind of looking down at her shoes. You know, mm-hmm. here to have this, this, it was interesting. Here we have a, a Ferengi who is a scientist who is really into discovery and then a Kling, and then a Klingon who just wants to, I think, find a, a quiet corner and read a book. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and Beverly Crusher, there's a voiceover in this because Beverly is uh, explaining the, the, the setup of the structure of the episode is a lot of it. She's explaining to Guinan what has happened. Um, and so she says that, you know, I don't think the Klingons respect their scientists very much because uh, – uh, and so that sets up that little bit of uh, – uh, uh, story um and, and then it ends with so Guinan went to dr crusher's uh quarters because she said she had tennis elbow and she needed to be you know help uh she need only dr crusher could help her uh and so it ends with dr crusher bringing her a tennis racket so that she uh, like a new fancy tennis racket uh to tend forward so that Guinan would not suffer from tennis elbow uh and this is where we get the moment where Guinan says i never i've never played tennis uh and then you're like oh Guinan. <laughs> you're clever like a fox yeah how do you do that Guinan she's, she's wacky I would yeah. also watch a Guinan uh, uh, you know series where she just that goes and listens to I know so, sometimes you think make that like this talk about the new Star Trek just being a, an anthology series it should just be nothing but Guinan's bar yes that's what she does she listens so they could people could go to her bar wherever it is and they would tell her her, her story her stories and then uh, it would be fascinating I don't know if Whoopi Goldberg would be interested in doing it but uh She's got all that view money. Yep. <laughs> she doesn't need any Star Trek money. Uh, but Whoopi, if you're listening, and you almost certainly are not. <laughs> but just in case. Just in case. Well, you should think about it. Uh, yeah. And we'll, we'll be producers. <laughs> yes. Call us. Uh, <laughs> Our people are standing by <laughs> That's and right. waiting for, for the pre- – or actually, no. Should, so should it be a still an adventure show or another murder procedural just oh. set in Star Trek? I do love people who who listen to this podcast know that I love murder procedural uh, <laughs> series, uh, Murder She Wrote, Columbo. Uh, I love them all. So I would I would be totally on board with just having uh, one of those set in the Star Trek universe. <laughs> nice. Sign me up, Columbo yep. in space. I'm on board. But it has to be a little. Uh, well, I guess this episode did fool me. So what what did you think of this episode overall? It was, you know, overall I liked it. It was still seemed a bit of the, you know, problem of the week mm-hmm. as opposed to a longer story. And I think once I got, once you get over the hump of why is the chief medical officer at, uh, at an engineering conference. <laughs> Which is a, a bit of a, a, you know, you have to suspend your disbelief a little bit uh, right. more than normal. I think we're kind of, you know, we have to recognize that everyone in the Federation, they're a polymath of some kind. People are, they're curious, they're, they want to know a lot about science. They want to learn just in general. Uh, but yeah, overall, I think it was, it was good. There was plenty of, uh, I think it was certainly good just to go and have, to go and turn some of the stereotypes for their, for the alien races on their heads. To have a Ferengi scientist, to have a wallflower Klingon. Uh, a shifty Vulcan. A shifty Vulcan, yes. A, a shifty, jealous Vulcan. <laughs> yeah, I think that was my, my favorite moments were when the scientists were all together uh, kind of bickering uh, and when Dr. Crusher blew a hole in that guy. Yeah, we can you can never go wrong with that. Just some nice, some, some well-placed phaser gunplay and that makes for a quality episode. 
It's true. Well, Adam, thank you so much for joining me. Hey, thank you so much for having me on, Scott. It's my pleasure. <laughs>